I've been in rooms full of young women who I'll be speaking and making it very clear that I'm putting forward like a gender critical argument. And they'll be rolling their eyes and sipping loudly from their iced coffee and just being very dramatic. And I had to remind <laughs> myself that it's they're not doing this for me. They're doing this so that other yeah. people see yeah, that. Yeah, yes. A hundred percent. Yes, posturing. hundred percent. I'm Kathleen Stock. And I'm Julie Bindle. And this is the Lesbian Project podcast. All the sapphic traffic for anyone who wants a bit more lesbian in their life. Hello. Hello. We have a guest we today, have don't we? A very special guest. Yes, we do. We have Nicole Jones, uh, who is a visual artist um, who's living in Edinburgh and has been uh, gender critical probably for like, you've been an out gender critic for longer, I think, than me. Because I definitely remember reading something of yours before before I took the plunge myself or around about that time. So we're going to get into that. But anyway, it's lovely to have you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's particularly lovely that you have actually dropped the average age of the podcast hosts to about (laughs) 40. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. And we should also say that Nicole is um, on our advisory board of the Lesbian Project, which also drops the advisory board average age to (laughs) something respectable so yeah we're really grateful um for to you for coming on and also for being on our board so but before we get going julie you yes. have a serious message yes don't you? i do and sometimes dear subscribers things can go wrong and i just hope that on this podcast you know that we will always try to do the right thing an apology in particular to uruguayans in last week's episode, Kathleen and I discussed. <laughs> <laughs> this is serious, Julie. I'm sorry. It's just nerves. I don't really think it's funny. Right. <clears throat> In last week's episode, Kathleen and I discussed fragrantos pies, and specifically the method by which they are cooked. As one of our subscribers helpfully pointed out, I got two this actually, wrong. or several subscribers, but anyway. Go on. I got this very wrong. I stated that these (laughs) are cooked by immersing the entire tin in a pan of boiling water. In fact, the lid is removed and they are baked in the oven. I wrongly described this cooking method when it was, in fact, Vesta boiling the bag curry. In other words, (laughs) I ascribed the wrong cooking method. And this is worse than misgendering, as we know. Yeah. On a serious note, I pledge to do better and I profoundly apologise for any hurt or distress caused. And I think you better explain why you apologise to Uruguayans because people are not going to understand that. (laughs) Well, I didn't understand it when I was first told recently by one of our dear subscribers that in fact Frey Bentos is, is it a town or a city in Uruguay? It's, I do not know, but it's, it's in Uruguay. I don't know whether it's a city or a town, but yes, it actually exists. And um, it's got, yeah, so it, we, on every level we've uh, we've shown ourselves to be ignorant. But really? I want to know, Julie, just before we get into talking to Nicole, did your mum actually boil these pies in water? Well, here's the other thing. My mum has been quite upset by this as well. <laughs> she was the one that reminded me that she used to boil Vesta curry in a bag. Right. We would now call it sous vide, of course. But she also pointed out 
that she would never have dreamt of using the wrong cooking method on anything. And yeah. she's right. And she also wanted to point out to everybody listening that she would normally bake her own pies from scratch. But these were busy times. Oh, God. Nicole, uh, you are a young thing. So I was going to say, I um, I do remember reading something of yours that you wrote. I think you must have published the written version of a speech you gave. This is, tell me if I'm wrong, to an event, a Let Women Speak event or something like that in London, like in 2018. Would that be right? Yeah, I think it was um, uh, Inconvenient Women organised oh. by Venice Allen. Right. Yeah, that was a brilliant speech. I remember reading it and thinking, wow, that is so good. And then um, I realised you were about 12. <laughs> and, it was, and then I was even more impressed. This but, is my um, claim to fame. I've been going around with, after you said this, telling everyone that I helped keep Kathleen Stock. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did, actually. Um, so how did you get into that then? Like, how did you end up because I'm being facetious, but you were quite young. Like, how did you end up finding yourself on a platform talking about um, trans activism? I think um, uh, there's not a huge story behind it. I just read, like I was just reading, uh, there was an essay I was writing um, where I was bringing in radical feminist references um, and then reading radical feminist stuff sort of just led me to the gender issue because it was even if this was in 2015 it was even 15. like yeah and then I think I started dripping it into I had a art blog which was for interviews with artists and called feminine artists which was a feminist thing and then that just became completely about um like writing about gender and then in 2016 I published something about non-binary and how it's basically nonsense and yeah it was I don't know what really, yeah, it was just reading about these arguments and then obviously a few years later, the gender recognition reform legislative stuff and I was going to events. Um, I went to an event in 2018 um, organized by, oh no, it wasn't 2018, it was 2016, organized by Julia Long. Called, and I think Julia, you spoke at that. Um, I did. And I'm a slight, slight fangirl because when I was a teenager, I used to watch um, feminist uh, interviews on YouTube and Julie you were one of them um yeah, yeah it, it was just engaging with it and so I get quite short patience with people who are very um forgiving of young people and saying oh well they're not being exposed to the arguments and say neither was I but I just yeah. I found them they're, they're out there and especially now and a yeah. good question actually is did you ever believe any of it no I call myself a gold star turf <laughs> like, you've it, never it, had the thought like but are trans women women no no it was just clear from the outset like the arguments have been made I think Rebecca Riley Cooper had a explainer um mm -hmm. back in 2015-16 that just from that point on I just there's no excuse but I get it people yeah Rebecca her her stuff really changed a lot of people's views or at least it cemented a lot of people's views I think that particular article about being non-binary in a presentation she gave anyway she needs I her dues I think I would really like to put that presentation which is floating around on Google on our mm. show notes because it really was so clear and for those mm -hmm. that were kind of bamboozled by the interchangeable terms of sex and gender you know often mm. without any kind of pernicious meaning 
mm. were, re were really that that confirmed for them that these were two separate terms yeah and, and just as an aside I was looking at the Alison Bailey um tribunal uh judgment today for another purpose but um I saw that they were referencing turf is a slur that website mm -hmm. and that was hers that was hers I hadn't realized that but that was such an important collection of well just the horrors that mm -hmm. were being said when the denial was very persuasive wasn't it it was well there's just a couple of blue-haired kids you know the real trans people don't go around saying really terrible things like that and in fact turf is just a descriptor yada yada mm. but yeah I, I think you know absolutely shout out to to Rebecca and and definitely we should um give a shout out to that presentation for anyone that needs mm. a little more yeah, clarity will do. will do so um how how did you go from reading about it Nicole to um talking about it because that is a big step I mean most people don't get to that step yeah I think because I was young I didn't really have the most foresight um and it was such a small like scene if that's the right word um that I just started going to events and talking to people and then I think a young person being there was kind of novel and got asked to speak and I thought yeah it's fine I've got, I've got things to say and yeah I didn't really um it just didn't cross my mind to think through the career because I think I think um Kathleen, you've spoken about this when you put out your blog. You sort of go mm -hmm. into it thinking, oh, well, the arguments just need to be made. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you, do, you, you expect that there's going to be some pushback, but you never think, well, this has the potential to, you know, change my life. Um, mm -hmm. You just sort of, it's difficult to, um, like being in this for a while, you sort of realise you train yourself to expect the worst, but when you're fresh-faced, baby mm -hmm. turf. You... It's true. I think everybody's a bit like that. And they if they weren't like that, they no one would ever say anything. True. You just sort of think, well, if I just make the arguments, you know, they'll <laughs> they'll understand. But no. Oh, if I just yeah. say what I really think. <laughs> that's another good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also I'm an artist, so I guess it just didn't really cross my mind to compromise so substantially, because it just I mean, if I had a path in mind, I want to be here and I need to do here, X, Y, Z to get there, maybe it would have crossed my mind, but my whole, even then my practice was like, I started off photographing my teachers because I do portraits. And even now I feel like the work I do is like photograph people that teach me things. And if I compromised so early on, I would have been cut off from, I don't know, interesting experiences. Mm. Yeah, well, we should... Oh, good. No, just Sorry. haven't thought of that. And also we need to um, give a shout out to your brilliant artwork for this podcast as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Nicole did the graphics for our podcast. So um... dream gig. Thank you for that. <laughs> she I'm said she was going to make us look iconic. So I was like, OK, you <laughs> do that then. I, just just make me you. look less tired. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, um, so we, we all know, and if you don't, you should uh, know the great and late, unfortunately, Magdalene Burns, who was such an iconic figure in feminism, a great lesbian, and of course, massive turf, who did the most amazing vlogs and just spoke, talk about speaking the truth. It's like speaking the truth on steroids. She was one of the funniest and mm -hmm. sharpest women I think I'd ever met. And 
tell us please about how you met Magdalene because it must have been such an important meeting and she was obviously a really important figure in your life. Yeah, um, I met her at the uh, Thinking Differently conference back in 2016. And like I said, it was a small scene of feminists that were talking about this at the time. So I knew who she was. Um, and yeah, I'd seen her videos. And I just remember when I met her, she came across so differently as she did in her videos. And I think this is one of the things that a lot of her, well, it goes past criticism, but like critics get wrong is this, the monstering of her, the videos were, she was such a warm and compassionate, energetic person who had so much time for everybody that she met. And that was the first thing, because I, yeah, I went to this conference and I think I just thought I'm a bit younger than everyone and she looks my age. And so I just walked up to her and said, well, can I walk with you to go to the pub? And then, yeah, and then I, I there was a U-Haul and, um, <laughs> were you out at this point if you don't I mind me asking <laughs> no I was out as bi and then my parents actually made a joke when I went to this conference they said are oh, you going to come back as a dungaree wearing dyke <laughs> and like I did mm-hmm. <laughs> great very stylish dungarees though you know um I remember when I first met Magdalene of course I knew who she was I'd watched her her videos her YouTube And then we were speaking on a panel at the conference that you mentioned earlier. And, you know, we warmly introduced ourselves to each other. We're chatting away. And I said, let's keep in touch. And she said, yeah, please, let's do that. And I went to add her as a Facebook friend and on whatever social media and found that we'd blocked each other. (laughs) (laughs) We must have had some row. Yeah, because it was, I suppose, the, the kind of thing that was happening at that time was that in response to the absolute looney tune suggestion that made by maria miller a tory minister for women at the time that we should introduce self-identification for trans people we all know that one and how that one turned out there were lots of loads of women from different political persuasions and points of view coming in to kind of join the fight and to protest it which was brilliant and so for the first time within the kind of anti-gender ideology movement to give it a broader term there was a bit of factionalism. There was some kind of infighting going on, which actually is quite a good sign because it means that there's enough of us to do that. But Magdalene and I must have fallen out over something Mm. online and neither of us could ever remember. It just goes to show then, doesn't it? Really, there's a lesson in there about how how person, you know, how someone can come across online. It's just not how they are. Totally. And if you get in a room, you'd... You'd That's interesting, that, but, yeah. because in the um, one of the accusations levelled by her students against her when it all kicked off, when she ran for women's officer, um, was that she was pally with Julie Bindle. That was, <laughs> I think that was well, in 2015. She, she was by then. I mean, or maybe, you know, maybe we'd been pally, maybe we'd fallen out. Social media is so awful and it's so brilliant at the same time. But I do yeah. remember being on a on a Zoom call or a Skype call with Magdalene when she was over visiting her sister in the US and with my partner, who's a lawyer, who was trying to help her with her case against Edinburgh University at the time. So should you should you tell a bit of the backstory there? Because I don't actually know it and I'm sure our listeners don't. So what is this backstory about Edinburgh? Well, she, basically, she ran for the Women's Liberation Covenant um, and 
she it was actually very a lot of the stuff that we're saying now she was saying back in 2015 2016 mm-hmm. was she pledged in her manifesto to bring the safe space policy in line with the equality act because at the time the student union safe space policy had included whore phobia yes. and yeah and this relates to the gender issue in that you couldn't, I think it was, there was a prostitution decriminalization bill at the time. That's right. And so you couldn't discuss in student spaces the issue of the bill without being smeared as a phobe. And so then right. you fast forward to like 2018 and the same thing played out again, that the transphobia was the issue. But yeah, so she ran to get the equality, uh, the safe space policy in line with the Equality Act. Um, oh, and it was quite funny because when then they were the, her fellow students, because it's very cliquey, these student union things, not very many people come, like show mm. up to even vote in these elections. So it's just their friends voting in their friends, blah, blah. So she like popped that bubble. And one of the issues was that even running had violated the safe space policy. And so they tried to change the policy so that if you broke the safe space policy, you could have your candidacy removed. Yes. Yeah. Right. So utter bellends, so- utter bellends, yeah. absolute outrageous. And when she was talking about the violence against women and girls in prostitution, that they decide mm-hmm. that's whorephobic. Who the fuck do these people think they are? Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably all in like management consultancy jobs now, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. one of them yeah, works for sure. the student union. There's, there's a pipeline, student activism. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. UDI. Yeah, that's a different, like, yeah, well, good luck to them. But they but really yes, tortured her with that case, though, didn't they? They really, really put her through the ringer. As they always yeah. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what was she what um, was Magdalene's take on this during the time that she was fighting it? I knew her sort of on the tail end of it when she was trying to appeal the decision. The complaint was brought by a trans-identified uh, former student who has now detransitioned, who calls women um, cunt scum. Lesbians is very lesbophobic about same-sex attraction, and she this basically was a campaign of harassment and it was just the usual template that we're used to seeing now and i i remember something really struck me was in the official reprimand letter we were talking earlier about turf as a slur one of the majority of the evidence against her julie you'll probably know this was other people's words tweets in reply to her right oh yeah um and she had posted content in the groups and turf as a slur was framed this is just a classic reversal as a website dedicated to doxing and posting the private information of trans people. (laughs) Of course it is. Of course it is. And it is that thing they always do. They did it to me as well when I was in a university sector of like blaming you for the replies that you get as if you're somehow, you know, a mastermind of a cabal that's like instructing people to reply in certain ways as opposed to just posting something on the internet and letting chaos happen after or the followers <laughs> the followers the that followers you get. yeah <laughs> god i hate that so much but it's yeah like well it sounds trying... dementing it's like they're trying to quantify harm and there is no mm-hmm. harm yeah so they... they just have to make shit up they really do mm-hmm. just have to make shit up and they did back then oh that's so that must have been incredibly difficult for her to go through but she kept going, obviously. I mean, it didn't stop her at all. She did. And she actually recommended it because I was nervous knowing this when I got an offer to study at Edinburgh, which is the same uni. Um, she encouraged me to do it. Like, one of the things about Magdalene is you never felt afraid. She just didn't have time for any kind of... It was just, mm-hmm. what do you need to do? How, like, how can you 
get on with it. I don't know. I mean, if she, it would have definitely hindered her career because it's a permanent record. Um, yeah. It's a good soul. And th this is the thing is they talk about um, harm with no regard to the fact that actually women are being harmed in this, that mm -hmm. this process is like they say the punishment. And I think with Martin as well, she stayed focused on, she stayed focused on the fact that it wasn't actually about this individual um, that had brought forward the complaint. She said that she thought it was motivated by the prostitution issue, that it was actually about her views, that the reason why everybody got on board with, it was just convenient that there was this um, interpersonal dispute, but actually that's right. so critical. I don't know. I think as soon as someone like her steps out of line and starts saying things that the others who are just mouthing mantras for political expediency, but they don't know how to back up, as soon as someone starts giving them hard questions, then it becomes imperative to shut that person up by any means. Mm -hmm. Well, by, you know. So, yeah, and, and um, it's interesting that you talk about the prostitution issue because, of course, you know, academics that promote the notion that you should decriminalize and normalize you know gaining access to the inside of women and girls bodies it, it, i mean they are the most extreme and they're also the least likely to ever be directly affected by prostitution at all either living mm -hmm. amongst it being in it and i remember magdalene talking about this and we shared our experiences because of course i'd been whorephobic as well and how in commerce. yeah quite and how um student politics but also the politics of senior academics were so poisonous when it came to this it was complete it's exactly ivory tower stuff mm. it's class prejudice in the extreme it's there's a group of women out there who we don't mind if they're used as vessels for men's one-sided sexual pleasure and that's all fine because we think that it's cool it's a cool position to take and mm -hmm. I mean, you know this, Nicole, you know, if they're, if they're chanting trans women are women, they're chanting sex work is work as well. Mm -hmm. You don't yeah. you don't ever find a group that has decided that prostitution is violence against women. Oh, but trans women are women. They always go down that same yeah. line. It's a package. Yeah. Mm. Got to tick all the boxes. That's um, right. And I also think with um, you mentioned class with the luxury beliefs, it's with the language itself it's a form of like class signaling like you can't get away with you know wearing wealthy clothes anymore and so the kids who go to uni it's I call it the script they all learn the script and they signal to each other that mm -hmm. um that they should hold these views and these views are high status and someone like Magdalene and I'm also working class I you just it's really difficult to go along with it like I can't use that language because I can't cultivate that kind of like mm. attachment so no. it's yeah at lots of levels it's difficult to make it also you and magdalene are both highly intelligent people and it's it's just moronic that yes. language it's, <laughs> it, it really kills is. off your brain cells at a, at a very fast rate and i just don't think a sensitive thoughtful intelligent person can say those mantras with any particular mm -hmm. um enthusiasm because it's so obviously absolutely moronic this is another one of my theories that it's a war on competency that mm -hmm. someone like Magdalene would have been so well suited to being to having a role in the student union she had or, um, activist organizing um, experience yeah so I was doing I was writing about feminism reading when I was a teenager the student union would have been the place for me but it's about pushing people who are good at 
their thing out of it and replacing it with people who are loyal. Mm. Like, yeah, that, I'm sure that's point. right. Yeah, but as, as Napoleon said, never interrupt your enemy when they're in the middle of making a mistake. <laughs> if they are putting loads of morons at the heart of an organization, whichever the organization is, and God knows there are many of them, then, you know, as we've seen, that ends up, they end up with egg all over their face eventually because these morons say completely stupid things in public. <laughs> you know, as we've seen with Stonewall and mermaids and all those but trials they... where people have said things. Do they destroy the institution as they do it? That's what I'm worried about. Well, we just like, got eventually. Oh, well, depends which institution. I mean, some institutions need destroying, don't they? Yeah, but probably they not Edinburgh Student Union. <laughs> I think I think some I think some just have to be knocked down and rebuilt, don't they? But obviously what we can salvage would be great. And maybe you can tell me um, if I'm wrong that, you know, this is a generational thing and it's partly to do with fashion and not that the next generation will necessarily be any more sensible but i don't think it's indefinitely going to be cool to be um non-binary or whatever you know it is right now do you think it's there's just in terms of trends something new has to happen doesn't it yeah i think it will i have a younger relative who's 10 years younger than me and she makes jokes about like without me even talking to her about this about blue-haired septum piercing mm. kind of um like it's becoming passe um and also i noticed as well there's a uh, radio uh woke washing on the radio the other day oh, yeah. right yeah and they were talking about um how all of the corporations have taken on the it's the lgbt flag and so it's it's now cringe but it's they can't offer a viable alternative that doesn't just reveal that they invested in the wrong yeah like, well, so the next they, generation will not have invested in it, so they will be able to call it out with more um, confidence, I think. I mean, I was looking at a, some screenshot today of a non-binary person and her their dad, whatever, her dad, and uh, she'd called herself Alan. <laughs> like, I mean, who would choose the name Alan? <laughs> she's called B half the week and Alan the rest of the week. And I was like, my God, that is not cooler cool. cooler names than that. <laughs> I Alan thought they were all calling themselves Kyle at one stage or Well, Klein, maybe this is it. Maybe I maybe I'm very much not with the Zeitgeist and actually there's a new wave of like old boring fart names coming back amongst oh. the youth but I don't think no, so. No. No, cuz Kai and Quinn. Kai and Quinn That's exactly. Right. That's so right. many Kai's have tried it's to have me sacked. Anime kind of I think there's maybe a cutesy Quill as well. I know one called Quill. Oh god. <laughs> Lots of cues. Um, Nicole, tell tell us about being out as a lesbian amongst other like-minded women. And I know there are them, obviously, and I've met them. And, and I've met lesbians who had tried to get me deplatformed in earlier years, who've then come up to me at events and said, sorry about that. We think differently now, which is really reassuring. And tell us from your vantage point, what's going on with young lesbians that you know or friends of friends? Is there is there a lot of hope around? Um, am I not? I'm not very full of hope, but it might be because my own experience has been quite isolating. But I tend to find that especially lesbians are the worst on this. I've been in, um. I've been at I've been at parties where the gay women. Um, maybe non-binary maybe not will walk out of the room when I walk in um 
and I think it's because of like a tribe um, loyalty and it's a kind of it's to do with the culture it's not even necessarily that they believe it it's just like the water that they swim in like it's not mm -hmm. a thought uh, it's you know I like this magazine this magazine takes this opinion they pr uh, platform this artist my queer friends you know who run music festivals and it's just also tangled up with the political stuff that you uh, the personal stuff that you can't if you agree with me in front of these people then yeah. mm -hmm. it's it's over for you and i've had experiences where um i've been in rooms full of young women who i'll be speaking and making it very clear that i'm putting forward like a gender critical argument yeah. And they'll be rolling their eyes and sipping loudly from their iced coffee and just being very dramatic. And I had to remind myself <laughs> that it's, they're not doing this for me. They're doing this so that other yeah. people see yeah, that. Yes. A hundred percent. Posturing. hundred percent. In fact, I mean, it doesn't make it any better because you become irrelevant in a way, like your feelings, it, it's almost objectification. It's basically like everyone else's is the person whose response matters more, yeah. but yeah. I really believe that's the dynamic. It's horrible. And, and yeah, I was thinking about this the other day because when I was a lesbian in the 80s, so in my 20s, the um, AIDS epidemic hit and, you know, there were lots of gay men that were dying, that were being treated horrendously, that were being lied about, defamed, neglected, kicked out of their families, the worst, worst time. And at that time, there was this huge debate amongst lesbians as to whether or not it was our moral imperative, our duty to drop everything and go and do all we could to support our gay brothers. And and then there were those that were saying, look, you know, we've got an, an epidemic of our own violence against women, rape, domestic violence, punishment rape. We've got terrible things happening to women and we need to focus on that. And there was a bit of a fallout, but it was okay we just divided up and recognized that there was good reason for whichever side of this argument you were on on whichever mm. side uh, of the fight you were involving yourself in and that's because it was a real thing happening to real people mm. men were dying of aids this bullshit you've got lesbians falling out with the likes of you over something that is complete batshit crazy nonsense and harmful directly to them and this mm. is this is what I can't get my head around because to be out as a lesbian in my view you you were quite courageous you've got quite a bit of verb about you to do that what's making them so cowardly to to carry on the way that you're talking about slurping their iced coffee in disapproval um I should say that that's not the worst that's happened to me I've also been refused service and you know that's just one of the pettier examples but yeah of course <laughs> I think I think it actually has to do with that they have come out and there's this kind of default sympathy I knew someone who had come out as a bisexual and she found this so difficult and her wording I could never dream of doing that to somebody else and that then informed her opinion on trans that there's this kind of false equivalence that people draw between how difficult they find their experience of coming out with this kind of feminine socialized or I wouldn't want to make life any more difficult for mm. somebody else um so it's yeah thinking that it's um 
the same thing. I also but that's think bullshit it... too. I mean, they don't. I don't really believe that people are that altruistic. I'm sorry, I'm quite cynical, yeah. but I actually don't believe that they're all sitting there genuinely concerned and caring. This is not the behavior of caring, kind people. It's the behavior of vindictive, toxic, um, mean girls, mean girls who are really quite enjoying themselves because they know that they are ostracizing somebody who they're probably deeply envious of on some level because you are speaking your mind and you are, you know, obviously an independent, strong woman, all of all the tropes that you're supposed to like ingest for feminism. And there they are unable to say what you're saying, which they probably also partly agree with anyway. So I reckon it's just bullshit, this defense that they're being kind. Yeah, Absolutely I agree. Not. I agree. Yeah. It, yeah, I think that um, status has a lot to do with it, that it's easier to, like, these are people who, when I was at school, would have believed me for being lesbian, freckles, or, you know, whatever. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're bullies who have been given kind of a legitimizing narrative. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And also, you don't have to be a lesbian to be in this crew. You can be, you can call yourself non-binary, asexual, whatever, you know, so there's no organizing principle around lesbianism. That's almost incidental as far oh, as I true. can see. It's just, and you're not, you, so you can't think of yourself as that as being the most important thing about you. The most important thing is you're in this amorphous queer group and you've got to toe the line. I mean, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. we all know. And you've got moral superiority. How good that must feel. What yeah. stuns me is the lack of curiosity. This was the thing I come back to is, um, when I, I've been a few events at the uni and I'm walking past people my age who go who some of them are on my course and I'm like are you not curious about what's being said inside mm. I, you know is your friendship group that important to you this I, yeah. mm. no I've been I'm sure Julie's had the same experience but I've when I used to go and give talks at other universities um I one one in particular was at York and there was a protest outside with these um one of them was holding up a, a handmade sign saying Kathleen Stock is a turf I do remember that but um Mary Leng who'd organized the talk she's a philosopher at York she's brilliant and and she was saying come inside she was actually getting across the yeah. room she was saying, come inside and hear what she has to say but they wouldn't <laughs> it's hilarious isn't it I mean I remember a um, protest against me in Sheffield when I was up there doing a book tour for my book that had nothing to do with this issue at all it was on the harms of the sex trade but as we pointed out earlier it's mm -hmm. the same people you know promoting the same bullshit against women and there were this sea of blue fringes all shouting I was a bigot and a Nazi and there was one placard that really stuck out which was Julie Bindle isn't peer-reviewed <laughs> and I just screamed with laughter and just said I hope my mother never sees that but we were saying <laughs> Come in, listen, and what you can do is you can actually even gently heckle from the audience. You can ask me questions. You can challenge me. You can come in for free. And at the, the shock on their faces, because, of course, they can't do that. They'd, they'd dissolve in a puddle. If yeah. I mean, what what kind of... It's just so funny, that sort of... Um, that kind of criticism, like, Julie Bindle is not peer-reviewed. They're like little... <laughs> bureaucrats aren't they they're like I, I'm just thinking back to the punk ethos that, that was knocking about when I was a teenager just at the tail end of it you know you cannot imagine like punks um or anyone influenced by them getting 
in public complaining that somebody has not been peer reviewed. <laughs> Why would I be peer reviewed anyway? I mean, since when was I what working in a university at that time? I've had but... it. I mean, I get it all the time. You know, people point to various things that I've written and say it was not peer reviewed. Like somehow. Can I just mention just... something about peer review, just in case? Yes. Just in case this isn't obvious to absolutely everybody listening to this. Oh yeah. Peer um... review on anything that's contentious works like this. Your paper is sent out blind, in inverted commas, to those that are going to be dead against it. They put a red pen through it and say, we can't publish this. And it goes back <laughs> and you get it rejected. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Well, well sometimes my... you get a revise and resubmit. <laughs> so that and two people can read it. Yeah, exactly. So the the idea that your your anonymous peer, who's usually a PhD student these days, because academics don't have any time or inclination to actually review things. So if peer reviewed in practice means a PhD student read it and said yay or nay, you know, and that's the gold standard we're all supposed to be talking about. But or maybe two right. PhD students Bring agreed. It on. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, look. Shall we move on to leathering in films? Because I know we've got some. We've got yes, let's. About, so on the um, Nicole requested. I think it's uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna blame you that we watch Nyad. <laughs> discuss that. Yes. Recommended that we watch Nyad. So last night I did watch Nyad, and Julie, you've already seen it, haven't you? I saw it a few weeks ago, so it's not as sharp in my mind. Overall, okay. I loved it. I was hugely entertained and moved by the relationship, the friendship between the two central characters, um, one played by Jodie Foster and the other played by somebody whose name Annette I've forgotten and I know really well, Annette Benning, that's right, both of whom, incidentally, have now been, you know, making sure that they've postured um, so that everybody knows that they think trans women are women. But that's beside the point because their characters in this film, I thought, were superb. So should they... we say a little bit about the the actual setup without giving too much away? So it's... um. It's a the main character is is a woman called Nyad. Um, she is a former long distance swimmer um, who'd done all these amazing things in her youth. It's based on a true story. And then she gets to the age of 60 ish and decides she's going to swim from Florida to Cuba without wearing a wetsuit even and without a shark cage. And her friend, her best friend, who she used to date, is played by J- Jodie Foster, uh, Foster, and she ends up coaching her. So that's and it's the story of what happens um there and it's also an oscar nominee i saw so we're current so nicole what did you think yeah i enjoyed it i thought it was um just very uplifting i liked how the sexuality of the characters wasn't the main focus because Mm -hmm. you get these lesbian films and the selling point is they're lesbian and they're going to be lesbian like whereas with (laughs) this it's like yeah and they weren't in love they, they didn't have the two main characters weren't in a relationship. The friendship was kind of the great love. Mm. Um, and so I thought that was a really wholesome depiction of like platonic love that you don't often see. Yeah. I had my suspicions about, I thought the Jodie Foster character must be secretly in love with the Annette Benning character because the Annette Benning character was so annoying that the only explanation for why Jodie had mortgaged her house and put up with all the crap that this woman threw at her it must be that she had some secret um you know love for her mm. but I read but it anyway. differently to that I read it differently I I have known those women yes uh, <laughs> they're very familiar <laughs> they feel extremely familiar 
And to me, the dynamic was the Jodie Foster character was deeply, she loved her best friend deeply. They had been in a relationship, mm -hmm. yonks back, and that it was purely platonic, but that obviously the Annette Benning character was so dominant, as you say, pain in the arse, almost to the point of where she was kind of quite manipulative if she wanted something that she knew that the Jodie Foster character was reluctant to give, that she mm. would pull out all the stops. So she was a naughty, naughty character. But she was it a bad old dyke. As it was a very, very bad old dyke. It was satisfying dyke. though. I loved it. I loved <laughs> it. I loved everything about it. Um, I liked the fact that she, in her pursuit, just persevered and persevered and persevered. I loved the fact that she was doubted and she proved them all wrong. It had every ingredient for a feel-good mm. film for me. And I agree with Nicole. It was so refreshing that this wasn't about a lesbian, a torrid lesbian love affair and heartbreak mm -hmm. and getting back together again. Yeah. A period drama, corset, funking. <laughs> That's true. There was nothing particularly erotic, although Jodie Foster's abs, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, <laughs> she... It looks good. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen her look so good. She looked amazing. She must have worked out so hard for that. But anyway, I'm going to tell you what I thought because no one's asked me. Um, we are interested, Kathleen. We are. We want to <laughs> well, know. Well, I'm a more cynical person than both of you, clearly, because there. Although I, I, I liked certain elements, I really did like the central relationship and the way that these were realistic dykes, like with massive dogs. Um, being extremely difficult <laughs> to yeah. each other and to the world, and particularly Annette Benning's character, she reminded me so of so many um, turfs actually that I know. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a shame. <laughs> bloody difficult, uh, always getting the wrong end of the stick, and yeah. Anyway, we'll go to that. But um, so I like that. But there was also God, it was sentimental and. Yeah the whole stuff about there's a backstory which I don't know if I'm going to spoil anything by saying but you know it turns out she had a horrible childhood and that got brought up at a crescendo moment to sh just they really did work hard to to get your tear ducts going and mm -hmm. I'm very um it's a bit like Forrest Gump or something you know I'm, I'm very turned off by deliberate attempts to manipulate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. feelings like that so I wish that they just cut that shit out and just focused on the comedy which it was there was quite a lot of comedy between the two of them it was funny so that was that's my view but I'm glad I agree I watched with it. you I agree about the sentimentality but I always put that to one side as a kind of occupational hazard of watching mm, films American because, films uh, yeah well I mean unless it's Steven Spielberg um at his worst where it is literally schmaltz from start to finish in a mm. highly manipulative way where the sentimentality prevails over everything, then I can I can cope with a bit. I can cope with a bit of it. Mm. Often it's the soundtrack, isn't it, that just crescendos and draws you in. I don't mind a bit of crying in the cinema, actually. I don't mind a bit of crying. I don't mind a bit of crying about things that don't really matter, like a film. Yeah. It gets it out of the way so you don't have to cry mm. about real things. That's the Arist Aristotelian theory of catharsis you've just rehearsed there. Is it? Oh gosh. I'll tell you what, a little a, a little known fact, although all the lesers my age will know, that Nyad Press was set up in honour of Nyad. I did not know that. But that's mainly because yes. I'd never heard of Nyad, I'm afraid. Well, there you go. Or Nyad film. Press, probably. But Nyad no. Press, for those that don't know, 
uh, was um, a really important, iconic um, US lesbian press that published, I mean, really quite schmaltzy lesbian romances, but with more grit, with dykes, dyke romances. So, yeah, look out for Naya Press. You can still get the books mm. around. I've got several on my bookshelf over here. Okay, well, we've also got a um, an article to discuss from the Daily Mail because, uh, in fact, it's the original was from the <coughs> Telegraph, but that's behind a paywall. And and um, I gave a quote for this. Uh, the Lesbian Project gave a quote for this um, article because it's about a BBC podcast by Lucy Worsley, who's a historian, uh, who's on every single BBC history thing there's ever been, usually dressed she's up so as posh. a she's Elizabeth. So posh. I don't is she she's quite posh. She's got a lisp, doesn't she? And she I dresses just, up yeah. a lot. That's what yeah. I know. I don't actually watch a lot of her things, I have to say, but um she was doing this BBC thing about lady killers, which was a kind of revisionist feminist take on murders of the past. And um she focused on a lesbian um, case, is that right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was about a, a lesbian couple in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, there was obviously a murder involved, but um, yeah, one of them killed the other in 1892. And then she moved on to, being talk- to talking about lesbians being invisible in popular culture, except when they're being murdered or murdering someone. Which is she nonsense. Started... When I heard that line, I just thought this is ridiculous. Well, it's an old trope, isn't it? That that um, I think she really means. Doesn't she really mean in in drama that the lesbians always get killed off? It's true. Well, I don't. She know might, but there are of... so few actual cases and even depictions in drama of lesbians killing each other that it would be really difficult to have that as our top visibility spot. Well, maybe she just means. QED we are just pretty invisible yeah, yeah. full stop yeah, maybe but um in order then the point of this is that um the net she went on to discuss this with a Cameron Esposito who's a lesbian American comedian and immediately Esposito started talking about drag artists mm-hmm. male ones and their discrimination and then they went on this whole piece to to do a piece on um drag performers so they interviewed a drag performer who dresses up as a woman so in other words having said lesbians are invisible within about two seconds they are now talking to a man about drag which is not who is not a lesbian clearly and didn't pretend to be so we were asked to give a um a comment to this and we said that we thought it was disappointing um that this that you know lesbians basically can't have their own programs can they without someone else some other sexual minority being brought in to make it legitimate so what do you think about that I'm sure you're going to agree with me (laughs) yeah I agree and I think it has to do with the um lesbians being lumped in with gay like male culture I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of my experiences of like the lesbian scene is actually just gay male like and a lot of the language like bottom top is the power dynamics the lesbians seem to have adopted these terms and yeah and so I remember once I was talking to somebody who she found out I was a lesbian and she said oh have you seen RuPaul was the first thing she said (laughs) 
And so I said, bless her. She's trying though. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was part of the community, but oh, I see. She... That's weird. But she really, must be asexual. I mean, you know, oh, I sell ice cream. Oh, have you seen Homes Under the Hammer? I mean, it's just so. What's it got to do with anything? Nothing. And then I said, um, that no, and she says, oh, so you're gay, but you're not that gay. And I'm like, what? what? I know. And when I said no more like Dyke. She said, oh, I feel masculine too sometimes. And I'm just like, how many Jesus colors? Christ. One after the other. And the thing is that it's not even uh, like she'd noticed or cared about the misogyny in RuPaul. I mean, you're also mm. a woman and you're also a feminist and you will have had views about some of the vile misogyny on RuPaul. The UK one, though, they're calling women fish. I mean, they've gone absolutely that what far. on the on drag race they are yes are they? on drag oh, race yeah. really that's, yes really that's, long, that's like a tradition yeah so, i've never watched a drag a drag race ever of any I kind went, i went to an, it was a gay bar drag artist wearing a hooters t-shirt that's oh. not, not cool but the point being that i think it doesn't even occur to a lot of lesbians that they're doing it they right. just see in their own mind the LGBT as one big thing, and so yeah, it's and I, yeah. it certainly doesn't occur to straight people. I mean, why? Should, and in a way, I was sort of thinking about this today. Why should it? Because if you're a straight, the average straight person, and you're not like already really angry about um, the way trans activism has taken over institutions, but you just see it from the outside, you're just like, okay, well, if mm -hmm. you tell me that this is just a big happy family full of rainbow sparkles then I'll believe you why mm. why wouldn't you so and a straight person's not going to come in and say um why aren't you talking about lesbians why are you talking about drag drag queens true so it's really up to us to make the case but of course so bloody difficult to do well, it and I have to say it's why we set up the lesbian project isn't it, it is. and it's why we have our wonderful advisors including Nicole actually steering the way because Seriously, if you've just got an acronym that becomes its own thing and we're having to drag ourselves away from it whilst being told that we're bigots for doing so, it's no wonder so many women just think, oh, well, you know, yeah, I'm LGBTQQI+. Yeah. And then you've got this bullshit that ends up on a podcast, which then educates um, heterosexuals who, as you've just said, Kathleen, why should they know any better? Yeah, exactly. Well, moving on to another... Um news story which I don't know if you saw but um there was a woman in the times this week um and the headline is I'm bisexual but the world felt felt friendlier when I passed as straight so this is a novelist who wrote a book called Green Dot she's called Madeline Gray set to be one of the year's hottest novels and it tells the story of a bisexual woman who fell in love with a man um it's based apparently on this author's somewhat based anyone on this author's own experience um, the article that in the Times starts uh, this way. I was 23 when I learned that men need to recharge between orgasms like an iPhone 8 or a Tesla. It's not that I hadn't been having sex. It's that I've been having sex with women in lesbian sex. Ideally, you or you orgasm, she orgasms, you keep going and then you orgasm again and she orgasms again. And this keeps happening until one of you needs to leave the house. <laughs> like a set of Duracell batteries or something. <laughs> So having to wait for a man to charge between orgasms truly was a shock for me. Anyway, eventually, so she's been a lesbian. Her identity as a lesbian was very important to her. She establishes her credentials through this article. Um, and then she met a man. Um, 
and fell in love with him and realized that she was bisexual. But one thing she does say that I thought was interesting was that she thinks, um, she says, one of the main things I realized when dating this man is that the world or the straight world at least really does treat you differently if you're in a straight passing relationship. It is kinder. I think society is getting to a place where outright homophobia is no longer tolerated, but the kindness of straight strangers when I would walk hand in hand with my male partner was alarming. Passers-by would tell us what a beautiful couple we made. Old people would smile at us and I never felt uncomfortably uncomfortably surveilled. Mm. The world felt, felt hospitable when I passed as straight. I enjoyed that and I also felt guilty about it. No shit, Sherlock. Really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, although really, are people, old ladies really going up to straight couples and telling them how wonderful they are? I think this has a bit of hyperbole. And... You know, we used to call these women husbands. And right. of course, now they Im immediately go to being bisexual. Can't they just be honourable husbands like the comedian Jackie Clune, who was a lesbian, full drama dungaree dyke, met some bloke, ended up with about 15 children, still heterosexual, still lives with him. She could, if she wanted, I suppose, adopt the label of queer and bisexual and do that get out of you know jail free card that the posturers do but she'll what does she do then what does she call herself i don't know she just calls herself heterosexual she's a hasbian and it used to be something that we would see every now and again um we were always quite judgmental and disappointed not that it was any business of ours at all but at least they didn't still pretend to be queer which Julie... she obviously is I'm worried. I'm worried that you're erasing bisexuals and you know they get annoyed. Again. Okay, look, bisexuals, it's absolutely no disrespect to you. I'm talking about those that are trying to colonise your identity, right? To me, these women have just gone straight. They'll never be with women again. Come back to me in 30 years' time, I'll be dead. But yeah. tell me if this woman is still actually... Well, it's a good point that the, the traffic only seems to be in one way. So I'm a good example of somebody who um, was with a, married to a man and now I call myself a lesbian. Now, that annoys a lot of people, I am aware. But, you know, I've looked into, deep into my own soul and I have pretty much ascertained that I probably always was a lesbian. But you don't very often get people saying I've looked deep into my own soul and I've discovered that I was straight all along. Exactly. I mean, I don't know of any. You have to say, oh, I'm bisexual now and I'm still part of the queer rainbow community. But um, is that but that's because. So why is that then, though? Because there's obviously some kudos to be got out of saying you're bisexual and there's no kudos to be got out of saying you're straight. There's a pressure, I think, to have a label in the first place. Like, I actually feel quite sympathetic with people who are part of a community that places such emphasis on deciding what you are being very mm -hmm. public about mm -hmm. it and finding your ranking and that kind of identity politics hierarchy and then realizing oh wait that was actually more of a political identification than it was a sexuality mm -hmm. and or I just yeah. said it because like somebody asked me and I felt a bit pressured so I, and I was a bit drunk yeah. so I said well listen, yeah, listen people, to this people are messy and words yeah, you use to course. describe yourself are gonna and of course yeah and if it's a political identification as well, in that article, she talks about being part of the queer community. And it's interesting, the things that she says about being straight, that she likes baking and she likes, um, if you're yeah. basing your sexuality on that, then when the politics change, the sexuality is going to 
change a bit with it and you're going to find things exciting that were forbidden fruits before like baking for your husband and, and good him pay for things um so there's and i think as well it's a taboo breaking thing because it's all about you know it's like the last taboo is actually being boring being trad yeah so the yeah. bit you're talking about is um i started when i was dating this man i enjoyed performing heteronormative girlfriend tropes <laughs> <laughs> Lucky performing guy. A trope. he must have been like oh are you performing a heteronormative trope right now it felt like i was cosplaying as a straight woman i started baking cakes for him for some reason that seemed funny to me at the time i let him pay for dinners for holidays he earned more i figured this was gender reparation what does she mean cosplaying she was she is a straight woman if she's in a relationship <laughs> is... with this bloke but she's seeing everything through a political lens. She's like heteronormative. He yeah. encounters people yeah. in their daily life and things. Can you not just like, clean the toilet like a normal person? Why does it have to be performing a heteronormative trope? There's like layers upon layers of self-analysis and irony. and oh. It's utterly ridiculous. But you know when we were talking earlier about whether or not this whole trans madness, the gender woo-woo, will go out of fashion for those your generation mm. Nicole and we were saying what will the next thing be I mean I was really hesitant to say what I think the next thing will be but I think it's already here I think it's going to be the return to the 1950s trad oh, it's trad here. girlfriend trad it's stuff, here yeah. but what I mean is I think it's going to catch on as a bit of a social contagion and it really worries me because obviously it's not good for women it's not good for women well, it, it depends. doesn't prevent rape and domestic violence. Yeah, either. I don't think. What well, I mean, we got to define our terms like what trad is because it's clearly not baking cakes. Because obviously, I bake cakes and you do a lot of cooking. I made some really nice cheese biscuits yesterday. They worked <laughs> really well. Really well. conservative. <laughs> but um, by trad you mean like sort of deferring to the bloke, um, for all the main life decisions, seeing him as your protector thinking it will prevent you from being harmed by other men, thinking that your relationship will be healthier if you just comply mm. and become a little bit more subservient or sex-stereotyped feminine in your role. Really, mm. really dangerous stuff, actually. I'm not saying women don't have the right to do that or play with it or define themselves as that, but please mm. don't push it to young women. It is not an antidote to, to the kind of... Um, you know, wild girls talking about sex work is great and I'm going to go down the strip joint for fun. It really is not. No, it clearly isn't. But it also we don't have the sort of culture that would support it to be remotely reliable, thank God. But, you know, it, for men to be protectors, they have to be um, self-restrained and self-disciplined. And I'm not saying that some aren't, but we're not, we're not going out of our way to produce the right sort of men that would play these very responsible, patriarchal... Um, family men type roles we'd you know we'd, we can't talk about this sort of stuff at all in our culture let alone like talk about what it what men should be like in the marriage I mean what are they supposed to be like they're supposed to be like um wear silly hats and like carry babies on their backs and like turn up to daycare and stuff that's about as far as we can get they call these men in Sweden the latte papas which I think <laughs> is a great term right so this week's sexual identity or is it gender identity it doesn't matter they're all as one of the week is kathleen drum roll omnigender tell us omnigender is a gender identity in which one experiences all genders 
while distinguishing between them as separate and unique in experience. This could also be when one is every gender, but feels like gender, Some I don't think a person wrote, an English speaker wrote this, but feels like gender to a different degree or intensity. Omnigender is similar to pan-gender. It also then goes history. Omnigender was coined by victim of rebellion on Tumblr. No shit. Victim of rebellion <laughs> on Tumblr. At least they're admitting that all this shit was made up on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. There's a Tumblr blog. They make a new flag, I think, or they might have retired and like got a job by now because this is back in 2014. But there's a new flag every day and they would come up with, because of their infinite gender identities, they would come up with a flag for each one of these. <laughs> and if you want a resource for the podcast, then that's the place to go. All right. Okay. Thank you. Nicole, well, tell us, what do you think the difference between pangender and omnigender is? Um like a spectrum of narcissism <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some kind of like will to power going on with the omnis <laughs> it's a bit like omniscient and omnipotent okay, here's a second question for you nicole can you be omnigender and asexual at the same time <laughs> i would imagine yes yes I I yes. Know, yeah you can be anything there are no rules I, but also you're I'm, of course you could you could you could be anything an omnigender because being omnigender includes all of the genders and asexuality <laughs> is a gender so whatever you're about to say you can be that simultaneously i've got another description here omnigender is a gender similar to pangender it's sometimes used interchangeably with pangender but sometimes the distinction is made although there is no consistent definition <laughs> The most common definition of omnigender is someone who experiences almost every gender, but not quite. What? <laughs> what? Not quite. Sorry, what? Is this <laughs> That's not omni then, real? is it? Is this a pastiche? Is this? Could you ever parody this? Could you? Oh, no, let me finish. Another, another common definition is someone who experiences all genders, but treats them all as one gender or as building blocks to one whole gender. Sometimes each part of the multi-gender may feel as though they are different in intensity. Anyway, you get the you get the picture. I certainly I do. People have too much time to think about themselves. I mean, this is verging on sounding psychotic, actually. I think it's like if you really Absolutely. did sit thinking, I have all the genders coursing through me simultaneously but distinctly, <laughs> you're you're sounding like you're on a psychotic break. Yeah. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. One thing that I'm not sure about is, and it's the first bit of the descriptor that you read out, Kathleen, mm. you can be all genders either at the same time or consecutively. <laughs> like, <laughs> Who has a lifetime? Who, who will live that long? Because how many genders are there when anyone well how talk? long is a gender though how no how how do you know how long it could be infinitesimal it could be like many decades who knows so um, could i be one gender for a split second then another gender yeah for you've already seconds. been 27 genders since we started this podcast have you not noticed oh this is perfect and so nicole <laughs> you've given us a great site for us to get to mine our new our gender identity right. every single week and then and then next after we do it, the week after it'll go up on network rail. Yeah. <laughs> then, so oh. The pride pillar. The yeah. capital the proper noun, the capital P on both. That oh. was 
that was so well good, i haven't you know. checked that out in in some detail but just to, to explain to everybody this is a massive great phallic object that has appeared at london bridge station apparently and all the way around it it's got various flags um prom queer tumbler flags. queer flags yeah not like the united nations <laughs> and, and what, so what has it got it's got <laughs> it's got polyamory has it yeah what else has it got? I haven't actually kept I'll up. I'll tell you what, polyamory has wrecked affairs. I mean, the excitement of hearing about people's affairs and now they're just telling each other about it, <laughs> yeah, celebrating, no. sleeping in the same <laughs> Nothing makes you more like, oh, I don't want to hear it than somebody <laughs> saying I'm polyamorous. Whereas anyway, if they go say, back to... do you know who's shagging who? Oh, tell me. Yeah, but they're polyamorous, polyamorous? No, just don't tell me. It's like, yeah. yeah, I had all six of them round for dinner the other night. Anyway, tell us more about the London Bridge thing, because some of our um, friends on Twitter have been doing some great kind of parodies of this flag and about the, the kind of nonsense that's going on at London Bridge. What's it supposed to be telling us? Why now? Are you asking Nicole? Does she know? Well, I'm asking I'd... either of you. I've seen it. I I didn't click. I know that the mastermind behind it has not a very good Twitter has a bad tweet history. Yeah, I actually Nelly, feel a bit... I know, it's, it's like, I always think when people are getting dragged on Twitter, even if it's justified at that Simpsons sketch, when they're like, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also a lot of these tweets are 2012, you know? I mean, that's 12, if I can do my arithmetic, that's 12 years ago. Um, I just don't think... I think there should be a moratorium on things that you did 12 years ago. He's so, enough of a plonker now anyway, isn't he? He is a total plonker, yeah. But the women but, um, they smear I... don't have this history. This is, I think, the contrast is... Well, that, of course, no. You know, that, that there's a lot of projection going on. No, it's clearly a well, bell end. But somebody did make a very funny joke about it happening at a train station, about just how <gasps> great how great it is to be no-platformed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also saw... Um, a bloke I know called Barry saying it was murder on the Orientation Express or something. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That, is <laughs> that was Barry. Brilliant. I can't remember your second name, Barry, but I'll give you, I've got to give you props. Anyway, listen, Julie, I found the flags that are on there and you'll never brilliant. guess what, everybody. Demisexuals are on there. Demisexuals. We've done demisexuals. We did you last week or oh, the week before. That, yeah. Oh, the demisexual is, flag is displayed, representing those who are only sexually attracted to someone after forming a strong emotional connection with them. Not I. women with demi romanticism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The idea uh, that the rest of us are just in it for the flesh, like that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or a glory hole. You know, let, let's 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 shout out for lesbian glory holes in public toilets. What the hell is a glory hole? Don't oh no, ask. Kathleen. Don't go any further. Oh my dear God! If gay men are listening to this, they are going to be appalled. Oh, is it that? Is it a hole in a wall? Yes. Yeah. Where they put their meat and two veg. Well, at least I've read about it. Done about their two veg. Um, Oh, it's got the pie. So this this massive phallic object in London Bridge has also got a yellow pie sign at the centre, representing an infinite number of potential partners. So that's the omni. That's. Pans, oh, the polys, the polyomnis, the polyomnis. Polypans. Be... <laughs> sounds, like, sounds a bit like pans people, the polypans no, people. Speaking of pans, um, by the way, nobody sent me a Le Creusier set. I didn't even get one Le Creusier well, set. Well, I was, thought you were supposed to work for your Le Creusier. Well, I just our... said, uh, no, all I said was I'll put out for a full set of well, pans. You clearly haven't none. put out, have you? Well, I, I mean... need to get the pans first. Oh, you never said that. Okay, that well, was I'm saying problem. it now. Send, send Pans them. first, 
uh, servicing Switching later. Out later. Well, this has been great fun. Yes, it has. Uh, thank you very much, Nicole, for coming on. You've been a brilliant guest. It's been fabulous to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been interesting. Lovely as ever <laughs> to see you. Thanks so much. Bye.